Hey guys, and welcome to Hunting Land, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. If you'd like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. This week's show is brought to you by First South Farm Credit. What does a farm mean to you? Maybe it's just a piece of land where you can go relax or enjoy the outdoors. Whatever the farm means to you, First South Farm Credit can help you finance or refinance that perfect piece of land. As a successful financial cooperative, First South shares its profits with its borrowers in the form of a patronage refund, which lowers your cost of borrowing. To find out how First South can help you, visit their website at firstsouthland.com or call them at 800-955-1722. They are an equal housing lender. And also brought to you by the Hunter's Mate Lowdown Trail Cam Reviewer. Finally, a trail cam viewer that actually works. Lowdown's high-speed trail cam viewer has flipping fast technology that allows you to view images three times faster on a screen that is 60% bigger than typical 7-inch viewers. Lowdown is a dedicated viewer slash photo manager made for one thing and one thing only. Fast, uncomplicated viewing of your trail cam images and videos. Lowdown makes viewing large numbers of images fast and easy. It allows you to easily delete individuals or groups of selected images. Find out more at lowdownviewer.com. I'm your host, Joe Baia, here today with my co-host, Butch Theory and Clint Flowers. Guys, today we are going to be talking about longleaf pine planning for replanting. If you are on the fence about longleafs, or maybe you, you already know you want them, I think there's going to be a lot to learn in today's show. You may find that you want them and you shouldn't get them. You may find that you didn't know you needed them and you really should get them. Uh, they're not right for everybody and they're not right for every piece of land, but well, we're, you we're may find, find out, out that you may find out that you want them and you can't get them. Right. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Your soil, uh, your soil is not right for it and your situation won't, uh, won't allow you to replant and long leaf. Yeah. Or you just may not be able to, uh, to find them when you need them. You're going to need to be thinking well in advance on that to help us out and help us see around all these corners we're talking with ernie spiller ernie was a consultant forester and now works with ifco seedlings ernie thanks for joining us man uh before we get into the meat and potatoes on longleaf pine seedlings everything people need to think about tell us a little bit about your role at ifco and ifco in general uh yeah uh well ifco seedlings is a a company which produces bare root and containerized seedling so we have uh, nurseries from louisiana all the way to north carolina and uh we are currently in the process of of shipping season so it means that people are starting to call even even though it's dry mm -hmm. people are still wanting to get started and that's uh, one of the advantages of a container seedling so uh but i am a genetic investment advisor uh, which uh, means that i i have customers that call upon me for advice call upon me to just make sure they have the seedlings in which that they need to make their uh, planting season a very successful one. Well, I'm looking forward to this show. I know Clint's going to have some questions for you. He's got, you know, a bunch of different types of pines planted out there and dealing with this drought right now, he's going to have some questions along those lines too. Personally on, on my place. And I think Butch is going through this as well. We've all had some timber harvest done here in the last couple of years and we haven't bought our seedlings yet. We haven't decided yet on what we're going to plant, you know, what type of pine we're going to plant. And so today we really want to dig into longleafs uh, in particular, starting out with, you know, why longleafs? Why, what are the benefits of planting them over, say, loblollies or slash other types of pines out there? Yeah, longleaf is, is one of those species which can be used in many different ways. Some of the advantages from from my standpoint is that it 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 loves fire. So if you're going to plan to do any of that kind of planting with longleaf, you have got to be committed to to burning it for it to really get all the growth and get all the all the benefits from it. Uh, so when you burn, what comes or what benefits come with burning the wildlife? So you know turkey, deer, quail. Uh, everything really loves it and it provides nesting opportunities you know other foraging opportunities for turkeys and quail and deer so coming from a wildlife standpoint that's probably one of the biggest advantages uh, it also has a lot of potential for um, salt for a pole and a salt uh, timber kind of uh, tree what about the growth rate as far as loblolly versus longleaf 
Mr. Ernie? Yes, uh, that's a good point. And that's can be considered a negative to some folks if they're strictly looking for a timber, a timber in investment. That means that the live lolly is by far the faster growing out of the three uh, major southern pine. You know, you look at your live lolly, your longleaf, and, and slash. So it the longleaf compares that it's probably a five to ten maybe even 15 years probably behind a, fi- a final harvest uh, from the loblolly, depending on the site. Uh, if you get it on the right site and do the right things to get it established, then it's still behind, but maybe not quite as far as behind as 15 years. You know, when I think about long leaves, it, it kind of makes you question your own goals. You know, like for me personally, I have about 200 acres. And so I don't have a very big property. I don't have a ton of land and, you know, going in and doing a full clear cut was not something that I wanted to do because our property is a, a recreational first property with timber as a bonus. You know, I mean, it's on, as on the continuum, you know, maybe being totally wildlife focused or totally timber focused. I would say we're leaning more towards the wildlife side and the recreation side. We still want that that timber income, but uh, it's not the, the primary focus. So for, for me, being able to keep fire on the landscape is really important because that's going to improve my wildlife habitat and keep the aesthetics in place because I really feel like at that acreage range, recreation is going to be the highest and best use of that property. Do you feel like there's a maybe a threshold for people? Uh, do you have landowners of all sizes planting longleaf uh, or, or is it more of a, a, a smaller acreage ownership doing that? Uh, in my in my opinion, it's mainly the larger ones who feel like they can diversify some of their 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 species, so they can you know strategically place these longleaf plantings in in areas which um, in a mosaic pattern, so to speak, that that allows a lot more edge, which is great for the wildlife, and, and really you you have to strategically put it where you know that. Fire won't be a problem in case it does get out. So those are important things to really think about when you start to establish one. I know on my place, you know, I I just bought, I just bought it about two years ago and we've got established loblolly stands. You know, we've got a one stand that's about 17 years old, another stand that's 31 years old. And what we're trying to do is, and what we're thinking we're going to do uh, is convert that loblolly stand into a longleaf stand, but not all at one time, kind of doing mm-hmm. that on an uneven uh, age management style. One of the, some of the challenges that I've already seen come in, coming into play with that is the aggressive reseeding of the, of the loblollies that are there and <laughs> needing to, you know, what we did when we did our thinning was we did a, a double takeout row. So took out two rows instead of one to give a little more sunlight for the longleafs we're thinking about replanting, really just trying to in my, in my mind, reduce competition. But what are some of those challenges, those those I mentioned with longleaf, um, as far as getting them established? You know, when you first get started, you really got to make sure that you have your site right, which I'm talking about, you need to have it on the right soils and in the right area that, that is supportive of it. So, you know, longleaf typically likes a coastal plain kind of soil, but it will grow in the Piedmonts because we have both. We have a Piedmont and a, or a Montane, which is a Piedmont kind of seed source and the coastal. So uh, you, you need to make sure of, of where you are so that you know which type of ceiling that, that you really need. Uh, with that being said, they still like well-drained sites. I, my personal opinion, and, and I've seen this, is that they're not very good in River bottoms uh, typically don't grow as well there. Uh, it typically has a little heavier soil. But the biggest thing is, is just really committing to that process because you're going to need to do some intensive site prep to get them established, which means spraying before. You may need to do some raking. Um, you know, it just depends on what the, the stand was before you actually cut it. If it's a pine stand, kind of like what you got, then you could probably spray it and, and burn it and still still be uh, able to to plant it effectively uh, without having to do anything else. But you do need to look at possibly putting some sort of herbaceous weed control in, either at the back end or load it in with the site prep 
uh, spray, or either you can come back and do maybe a band spray or something in, in the spring. Um, you just got to be careful about which chemicals that you do use. But honestly, you can you can control a lot of that her, herbaceous material with fire. I'm glad you mentioned site prep. Um, so, yeah, first step is we got to get that prepared. And if we go one in and, and we're spraying, killing back what's there, then coming through, burning. Um, once we've got those long leaves planted, are you able to use herbicides after that with long leaves? Are there some herbicides that you can use? I've heard conflicting things in the past about, you know, people going in and, and trying to remove, say, sweet gum competition. That's right. Or, Clint, you've dealt with some of this, I guess, with Kogan grass, right? That's after right. you yeah. had long leaves in place? Yeah. Well, and where we are is we're basically the petri dish in South Alabama of invasive <laughs> species. So I've got Jap grass, climbing fern. Popcorn trees, take your pick. If we if it exists in the southeast, we've got it. But yeah, yeah Jap, Jap grass is the primary one that, you know, it, it explodes in these areas of strong sunlight. And if you got one patch and you burn through there, you know, to release these long leaf, it just energizes the, the Jap grass and it, it starts to become this balancing act of how do we get the Jap grass out without damaging our long leaf. Yeah, uh, Clint, you're exactly right. It, it does open up a lot of possibilities for seeding in so the best thing is fire and i know fire doesn't doesn't work well with a lot of those in, invasives but you can use some oust uh which is friendly for the the long leaf you can use small amounts of the of emazapir of course everybody will will throw up their hands and say oh no we can't use any of it but if you're very if if applicator is very good at what he does he should be able to use it with very minimum uh, risk so it's really trusting the guy that you have managing your your property uh, but it can be used in small amounts not in large amounts at all but honestly fire is is about the best thing to really try to control some of that stuff some of it is is very difficult popcorn trees tough and co-grown grass is tough too it's it's really you got to put some sort of chemical on it to actually kill it. You mentioned earlier that you use the word genetic, you know, genetic advisor in terms of seedlings. So when you start talking about loblollies, you hear a lot of different options out there mm-hmm. uh, in terms of genetics, uh, improved genetics, faster growth rates, and the, and so on and so forth. Does that extend into longleaf? When when you start looking at various seedlings to purchase, is it a longleaf, a longleaf, a longleaf, or... Are there better better ones than others? Uh, there are. Uh, we have a a non improved and a improved, uh, two different categories. So the non improved is is just something that's exactly what it says. It's it's just we're we're harvesting cones that are you know have not been modified. So uh, the improved is something that has a better genetic quality to that, but yet we haven't done enough research across the board and what i mean by us not just us but even the the co-ops have done limited amount of research on that but i've, I've been told and, and i think i've heard this correctly that there is uh some money being being pushed in that direction so i i expect that to become uh a little bit better research and hopefully get more information uh concerning the lonely going forward so right now with the improved variety, there's just not enough long-term data to know if that's going to uh, result in a better growth rate or, you know, just better economics for the landowner. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, when you say that it's improved, we, it's hard for me to tell you exactly how, honestly, mm-hmm. I just don't have that, that available other than which should be an overall tree improvement. So that means growth, you know, uh, better straightness, hopefully smaller limb sizes, uh, there's there's a lot of advantages to that, but also honestly, with longleaf now, you know the the straw potential for the the harvest of it is is becoming, you know, something that people are actually seeking. You know, they're they're looking for that that woofy uh, longleaf that has a lot of straw, and because that's exactly what they look for. We did a podcast not too long ago on the because of some of the economics of of longleaf pine straw, and it was pretty. Uh, pretty strong, you know, in yeah. terms of what that that can produce per acre, and you start comparing that to the actual timber itself, and you're kind of looking at it, going, maybe I need to be a pine straw farmer, you know? Yeah. 
but uh but you know for guys that are really into wildlife they don't always go hand in hand necessarily there are some ways that can be done i've i've, I've seen some uh various things folks are doing uh with silva pasture that is yeah. providing good results with wildlife and pine straw and you know if you're running cattle and those kind of things there's certainly some additional ways that, that long leaves can improve the landscape for both the landowner and and for wildlife but you know if if you're dead set on on planting long leaves uh which like i know i am i think butch you, you guys are kind of on the fence right like you hadn't quite figured out if you y'all are cutting loblollies but you're considering it all right Correct. Yep. Uh, long leaf are obviously attractive for, like you're talking about the pine straw and the things that we've kind of discovered about that. Yeah, we're just kind of trying to figure out what what we're going to plant going into. Well, this and y'all, plant. I mean, like, well, I think what we've all seen is being able to burn loblolly stands that are older. The wildlife benefits are immense, huge. Oh yeah. And so you 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 don't really want to go back to not being able to burn that for a decade or so. Uh, so right. that that is a definitely a draw. But if you've decided on on long leaves, um, and you've done the site prep. Well, there's actually one more question. You, you, you mentioned it earlier talking about <laughs> this crazy drought we're in right now, when it comes to thinking about containerized versus bare root seedlings, talk a little bit about that. Like what, why would somebody want one or the other? What are the benefits of one over the other? Uh, with any container, whether it's a, you know, a live lolly or a long leaf or slash, or even, a long leaf, it's it's it just gives you a, a, a longer planting window, which means that you can start earlier and then you can plant later in the season. So typically our season uh, begins about the middle of October. So we've we've had a few customers that are in places where they can plant with tractors or or a little bit wetter than than what we are here. So they they've started now. So what it does is it gets that tree in the ground a little bit quicker, which helps in the establishment of the roots. So a lot of the moisture that is taken up by that seedling with the containers only, it goes straight to the roots. So they're, they're able to start a little bit of, of early root growth, which when it goes dormant, then it takes back off in the springtime. It gets a jump on it and it's a significant benefit of, of planting container versus the bare root just, just because of that. Uh, plus now, if you, if you think about it, uh, if you've had any uh, tree planting done in the last two or three years since COVID, getting the guys in, getting the, the labor in at the right time has been crucial. So we suffered back in 2020 during all of the COVID because we couldn't get the guys in. You know, we couldn't get them in on time. Everybody was late, uh, just really made for a tough year for anybody who was trying to do any tree planting. So. Um, so it gives you a lot of benefit. Uh, plus, as a drought, as you just mentioned, it's it it does help it um, because it allows those those that seedling is is encased in its own environment, which is basically an inch in diameter. The 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 whole plug is, uh, as long as five and three quarters inch uh, long. So. You know, it wraps it in itself, and you know you can plant it out there right now. And I, in my opinion, it's good for at least two weeks before we get a good rain. So it gives you a little insurance. And typically, with with containers, you have zero survival issues. You know, it gives you almost a hundred percent. It's not quite, but as close as you can get. And uh, really, really is the way to go with the bare root. You know, it's it's your window shorter right so the conditions have to be more perfect before it can be put in the ground so there's 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 a lot more that can go wrong with the bare root versus the containers absolutely makes sense so ernie you mentioned that people are starting to put some some seedlings in the ground right now uh can it get too cold on us is there going to be a hard stop date on that yes uh you know back last year we had a very significant freeze event that that came through right uh i think it was a couple of days before christmas Yes, so very, very close. Yes, in our world, we were all in panic trying to uh, figure out what we needed to do. Of course, we send out bulletins to our customers. Hey, you know, if you can, let's hold off a couple of days before um, you plant. Typically, planting the, the trees day of of hard freeze like that is really bad for them. Uh, they, they just have a tendency to dry out and uh, just don't do as well. Uh, survival is not as good. Uh, but if you give them a couple of days, you know, if you plant, say it's 
it was on, I think it started on like a, like a Friday. We, you know, advised people to stop planning on Wednesday to give them or Tuesday, really to give them a couple of days to get acclimated and to kind of settle their, their roots and then uh, be able to withstand what was about to come. So with the bare roots and with the containers, it's tough on both of them. It doesn't really matter because a lot of what's really becomes a problem is what's above ground. So you get a lot of the wind chills that, that come through. That's what's really rough on those ceilings is, is the wind chills because after that freeze event last year, you know, I was getting pictures from folks, hey, look at my trees. They look horrible. You know, what should I expect? And, you know, I was like, they, I can see green in the bud. So if you give it, just give it till the spring, let's see what happens. And, and right. most of the, everything came back. So didn't have any problems in the field or in the ground. Where we had problems is that we had some trees that got froze containers, not bare roots, but containers where we didn't get them all on the ground. So we lost a few that were in in uh, up on the benches and tables uh, that we keep them on when we're growing them. So we had some to freeze there. You know, you're talking but, about bare root versus container, the container giving you that wider window of time to be able to plant. And then, you know, you mentioned, I think, and I, I want to want you to tell me if I'm wrong, but I think I heard you correctly to say that with the container, you've got about a two week window where you are going to need rainfall. Uh, you know, you need rainfall within a two week window. Listen, no. you describe that is giving me more heartburn than I've already got because I'm right now I'm looking at food plots and I can't plant food plots and I'm looking at the 10 day window and there's no rain coming. And I'm thinking, gosh, you know, that's just one season. This is maybe 30 years yeah. of, uh, of, you know, something that I'm making an investment in. If we go to the bare root ceilings, how long do you have? Uh, you know, we're, we're not even close to getting ready to plant any bare root right now. Uh, it's just way too dry. Um, even a little bit of rainfall that may have fall, fallen on the Florida panhandle and along any of the Gulf Coast is just really not enough. Mm -hmm. Containers is the only way to go right now. Uh, now, the, the other flip side of that is, is that, you know, it's getting cooler, at least where I am. I know you guys are scattered out, but uh, with the cooler temperatures, that, that does help. So it buys us more time. You know, once the ground cools down, it's not trying to take up uh, moisture. So it starts shutting down plants. Plants don't use it. So therefore, when the rain hits, it's going to do a lot of good. Right. It's going to stay in the ground. It's not running off. It's not leaching out. It's it's there for those seedlings to take up. So the drought's big right now. Uh, so everybody's really got their their mind focused on that, but the bare root planting is probably, it could be delayed a little bit depending on what happens in the next month. Yeah, I've, I've planted about 140 acres in IFCO seedlings last year. So <laughs> I'm sweating bullets a little this morning. I was meeting a biologist out there this morning. And I was just peeking, 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 trying to look through all that dog fennel and stuff and see how many red versus green I saw. I'm getting a little nervous. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. Uh, need to wait for a good frost frost uh once that hits then you can really tell it better uh, so i have had people call me that they've had some issues with some seedlings that you know just due to the drought uh that 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 has had some problems and even i've heard some other folks call about some stuff that's even two years old that's had some issues just on really on the drier slopes or the higher slopes mm -hmm. with, with a well-drained soil so there's you know it's going to be some impacts going forward as a result of, because we've gone from what, from one extreme to another, we've gone from being extremely wet mm. now to extremely dry. So it's hard to get it just like we like it. Well, you hit the nail on the head for me personally, you know, as a landowner is I'm seeing a lot of extremes right now. It's like, it's just rarely just right. So I want to give myself as much leeway as I can, uh, when I plant to have success. Cause I'm, it's just, it's just hard to time it just right. You know, going forward a little bit on, planning what about spacing with longleaf what are what are the general guidelines and then do you change those site specific or goal specific uh that really depends uh there's a lot of what ifs or or could be's uh in in that question depends on what your goals are uh depends if you're wildlife oriented uh depends if you're hand planting versus tractor planting 
Uh, if it's tractor planting, typically they widen the rows and tighten them up in between trees. So, but typically everybody, you know, if you're throwing out just a rule of thumb, you're looking at 500 trees per acre uh, is, is probably a standard. If you're using call share, you know, that's another advantage to Longleaf is call share because they do uh, pay a significant portion of that and there is funds available. I know that there was uh, a lot of that was was something that people really look forward to is is the cost share. So if you can jump on that that bandwagon, then you know that's the best thing to do. Uh, but as far as spacing goes, it, it's it really varies. Uh, it'd be hard for me to just pigeonhole you into one spacing. Uh, typically, if it's wildlife, that may go a little bit wider, uh, just to give you a little more foraging opportunities early in the. Uh, growing uh, cycle of that stand uh, doesn't close canopy quite as quick. Therefore, you have a little more, you know, ability for uh, wildlife habitat to to be there. And it gives you more opportunity to uh, burn it, too. So it, it really just varies. Well, don't worry about that, Ernie, because if there's one thing we're good at on here, it's saying it depends. Uh, it seems right. like just about everything sure. with land depends. You know, we can stimulate the questions on here, but at the end of the day, most people are going to have to pick up the phone, call somebody like you and yeah. ask about their specific site, their specific, yeah. you know, goals and, and tell you what they're trying to accomplish. And then, right. then you can get into, okay, well, this spacing is going to be best for what you're trying to do. Yeah, straw, they want it as dense as they can get it. They want that canopy to close as fast as they can, you know, as little vegetation on the forest floor as they can get. Is that right? That is 100% correct, Clint. That's that's exactly what they want. They want them tight and don't want to have to do anything uh, under that stand, you know, very little bit of spraying and, uh, you know, they 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 want it to, to close as quickly as possible. So, yeah, the densities there are definitely – you know, 600 to 800 trees per acre. And, and honestly, a, a lot of that will uh, will be dictated by the kind of soil. So we haven't really talked about soils a lot, but, you know, it really depends on what that site can, can carry. So each site has a carrying capacity, which means it can only grow uh, so much you know, stems per acre, which it doesn't matter whether, you know, if it's, if it's, um, if it's pine or if it's hardwood, live lolly oak, I mean, it's, it can only grow so much productively. So once you get past that, then you really are not getting the maximum amount out of what you have growing. And most of our area around here, we're dealing with some either true sandy loam or some close first cousin to it, you know, yeah. until you start getting into Butch's area and it gets a little bit more, a little heavier. And, um, you know, there's some areas that carry long leaf around where Butch is, but for the most part, that's up in the black belt. The ground starts getting a little heavy. So usually if you see long leaf up there, it's for pine straw purposes, and it's next to some creek or something else where it's got enough sand to, to stick. Or yeah, to that's to what they were saying whenever, whenever we were trying to go back with the long leaf from the loblolly. I think we cut about 200 acres in the last couple of years, and they were saying that um, our soils will not – do long leaf very well at all so i think we're gonna have to go back with lob lolly yeah i've got several hundred acres of long leaf and and it's a i was telling a guy today a baby long leaf is is very temperamental it's kind of like a wife or your girlfriend you got to take care of her and treat her nice and hopefully it comes on out and it treats you best not like a lob lolly you can kind of <laughs> just walk off and forget it in a lot of ways and come back in a few years but the but the benefits wildlife wise have been you know, amazing to me on that track. Joe's witnessed it and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up, Clint, because whenever I get excited and start really, you know, really diving deep on Longleaf, it's usually from looking at somebody else's property and seeing how it's transformed it, you know, and seeing just a real life example of, hey, they went back with Longleaf and yeah, there was some, it, you maybe had to deal with some different issues associated with that variety, but the end result for them was a really good thing. All right, folks, we'll be right back. Y'all take a minute and check out some of the businesses that make this show free for you every episode. Uh, this week is brought to us by Great Days Outdoors magazine. If you're frustrated with typical hunting and fishing magazines and tired of reading content, then for guys that are up in the north or up in the Midwest, check out Great Days Outdoors magazine. Don't get left behind following the guidance of guys who don't fish or hunt in your home state. 
you can pick up a Great Days Outdoors magazine subscription and it will help you become a better Southern outdoorsman. Great Days Outdoors magazine can be found at your local Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, Tractor Supply Company, Rural King, Bass Pro Shops, or you can save online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. Also brought to you by Southern Seed and Feed. Do you want to provide better nutrients to your deer? If so, try Southern Buck Food Plot Blends. Your deer will love it. At Southern Seed and Feed, they specialize in making textured feed for horses, cattle, sheep, goats, hogs, chickens, small animals, and wildlife. Their products are proven irresistible, scientifically formulated to promote excellent herd health and hunter satisfaction. They supply products to various distributors throughout the South. So visit their website at southernseedfeed.com or call 662-726-2638 to find the dealer nearest you. Ernie, do you have any, you know, real life examples of just kind of success stories and, and what is success to you when it comes to longleaf? Uh, the thing I don't hear m- people talking about much, we always hear the wildlife talk, but you mentioned that they make a good pole. They make good saw timber. Talk to me just about like success in the world of longleaf and, you know, kind of how y'all measure that. Yeah. Well, there again, <laughs> it kind of depends, but no, it's really a species that is, it is typically a slow growth or slower growth. So, which means that this tighter rings, right? So means it's good for saw timber production. Uh, it's good for poles. It's, it's, it's a very uh, specific kind of seedling or, or, or tree that, that has a lot of those advantages to it. So I've seen some that's been thin before and they look absolutely great. You know, you, you can go through and, and really see where it's going to um, grow off the way that it's supposed to. And it's just like I've said before, it goes back to site. You got to make sure you're on the right site with the right site prep. It has to be, it's very temperamental, just as Clint said, you know, it, it has to be handled with kit and gloves. So um, you have to do everything. I don't say everything right, but you have to get most of your boxes checked just to make it get to where it needs to be. So that potential is there. Uh, and I have seen uh, a lot of good stands that's that's that has grown and, and uh, been able to be successful with. And I've seen some that just hasn't performed like it should. And it's just, in my opinion, it was just off-site, uh, not in the best soils that were conducive for it, uh, really not really good or not well-drained sites. Uh, heavier soils, you know, what we just talked about, it really needs to be in those specific sites for it to be as successful as it should be. We talked a little bit about the challenges of kind of replanting with long leaf, and you, you just mentioned it there. But what are some of the biggest mistakes people make? Is is that it, poor site selection in general? That's, or what are some of the biggest mistakes you see, Mr. Ernie? No, Butch, that, that's exactly right. That's that's where it starts. You know, if, if you don't get the site right to begin with, then whatever else you do, you're just wasting time and money. So I think you can get with a, a county uh, forester, get with a consultant, get with even your county extension agent, somebody who can help you make sure that you're in the right location for that. So Longleaf is not for everybody. So it, it has to be really do your due diligence to make it or, or, or to put it in the right spot. Uh, the other thing is, is not really uh, keeping it burned because uh, you, I mean, it really has to be burned enough to where you keep all that herbaceous material off of it because it's very sensitive when it's in its grass stages. So when, when you're starting, you, you've got to keep it as clean as possible. And when you're doing the actual site prep, you, you just got to make sure that you have it where it is very clean, easy to walk through. Uh, your tree planters will love you for it and will do the best job. Uh, and also during the uh, planning, you, you need, you know, typically everybody thinks, oh, we got to get it deep. We got to get the plugs deep in the ground like you do with Loblolly and Slash. but with long leaf, you really need to leave a little bit of that top part of that plug above ground. So you don't need to cover up because that's where it's growing from is from that center of that plug because it looks like a clump of monkey grass whenever you pull it right out of the box. So it grows up from it. And if you cover that plug, sometimes you will stun its growth or possibly even kill it. So you just got to make sure that 
your vendor is 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 has experience with it, has done it before, understands what you need to be looking for when planning any kind of lawn leaf like that. Ernie, and, you mentioned the uh, slower growth rate. That's been mentioned a couple of times. And this is something that I've heard. This is just kind of other conversations I've overheard over the years is that long leaves are slower to start, but they come on just as fast and maybe produce just as much volume over the life of the stand. Is that true? Is there, is there truth to that? There is. There's a um, landowner in Tuscaloosa County that I did some work for years ago. We didn't do exactly the right steps. Uh, the landowner didn't want to spend a lot of money and he just wanted some long leaf. He's got 3,500 acres and he wanted some long leaf. So he, he, so we just planted some, we didn't even burn it to do anything. So this is a good opportunity to, to see really how well that this thing will, will grow. So uh, we put them in and grew them or uh, put them in and they, and they struggled because they had a lot of seed in, a lot of seed in natural pine and now that stand is, I think it's close to 20 years old, and the longleaf has kept up with the loblolly, actually. And I think it's because it was, I think it was so heavily seeded in that over the time it just sort of trained each other to be able to, you know, kind of keep keep its head above that that loblolly or even with it to to grow. Now I know that I lost some of those longleaf just due to overseeding and it being suppressed, but you know, that, that kind of helps you understand that, you know, these things are tougher than what we probably give them credit for. And over a long period of time, will it grow more tons per acre? I, I'm not sure. I, I think it's going to be comparable, but the, where you would lose or where the, the people who are in favor of Loblolly would say, Hey, I can grow it quicker. Uh, I could grow a, a stand to financial maturity much quicker than I can the long leaf. So that's where the longleaf loses that battle. As far as producing tons per acre, it's pretty close. Uh, you know, I can't see a huge difference uh, in, in my opinion. Uh, there could be other places that folks just say, oh, it doesn't even get close. But in my opinion, I think it's pretty comparable. But you just lose ground as far as years. And, and that's really what you have to look at it in. And when you talk about burning, I know you burn to get these released out of the grass stage after that is there a period of time you you can't burn i seem to be i get conflicted messages on that i've got some stands that are we're into about age three you know we're being told we need to wait you know until they get you know six seven eight foot tall before we burn again i mean what's what's your opinion there i've seen it done both ways clean i i think it's good to, to try to put fire in them after a couple of years uh, now you you got to be careful when you burn it. You know you don't want to burn it during the actual growing season. So if you grow it or if you burn it during the cooler season, uh, you know maybe right after deer season or you know in in that time frame where the tree's not trying to grow. So uh, that's that's that sweet spot to try to kill off the grass. You you got to pick the right day. It's not going to burn perfect, but you you got to make sure that you're catching it at the right time to get the right results. Now, as that tree or as that stand gets older, I've seen the the U.S. Forest Service even burn them into the growing season, which is in May and June. I right. Mean, the whole entire world's, you know, burning up because they have set four or 500 acres. And in, in that four or 500 acres, it's a lot of long leaf. So they're they're burning it, even though they're 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 bigger. The stands a lot, a uh, lot less trees per acre. The heat is there, but it's not concentrated to that stem it's you know it's trying to kill some of that hardwood back it's trying to promote you know all the grasses and all the natural uh forbs and grasses for for the the wildlife and it's to reduce what we've seen here lately is you know the the uh, risk of uh wildfire ernie i want to go back to you mentioned one of the benefits longleafs being the ability for cost share I've certainly mm-hmm. seen that in my area and that's a huge benefit. You know, if you can take advantage of those programs, it saves you a lot of money in terms of uh, replanning. Uh, with that being said, when you go through cost share programs, are you able to request specific seedlings or do you kind of have to take the government cheese, so to speak? Uh, no, uh, you have the ability to choose what you want. Uh, they're, they're not so specific on, on that kind of stuff. 
uh, what they're specific on is how you do it. So they're going to make sure that you give, you know, whether it's long leaf or loblolly or, or even short leaf, they're going to give, make sure that, that you put those ceilings in the best possible places, conditions to where it's going to, going to succeed. So that's the great thing about, about those programs is that it's, you know, it does provide uh, a financial benefit for the landowner, but also ensures that things are actually done right. Cause if they don't, or if it's not done right, then they will not approve you. When it comes to long leaves, you know, they they get a lot of, uh, they get a lot, they're starting to get a lot of press, of course, for their wildlife benefits. And we wanted to talk about it and look at it from that aspect, but also just from the dollars and cents perspective of, of the landowner. But are longleafs making a comeback in terms of consumer demand? Like, are y'all seeing just more demand for longleafs in general? Absolutely. We've, uh, I've, I've been with IFCO for the last two years, and uh, I've been planting their seedlings even before that. So the longleaf has grown each and every year. So we've had to allocate spacing for longleaf. So uh, I had a conversation with one of the NRCS guys here recently and just was picking his brain, you know, what, what's, what does the outlook look like for any of the NRCS programs? And I was really looking for the long leaf and he says, I, I don't see it changing. So, you know, he feels like that that's going to increase on a yearly basis. And just based off of our demands from our customers, we really need more even now. I mean, if I had across our whole company, if, if we had two or three more million ceilings, we could sell them all. So uh, I, I think that that will be there for, for a while. And I, I think that it's it's really being driven by that cost share kind of market because, you know, one of the disadvantages of it is just it's really expensive. Uh, so that's why that most people need a little bit of help uh, in, in trying to go back and establish these long leaf stands. Well, I think with the emergence of these, these carbon credit markets coming up too, where people are paying you up front, not to thin for a lot of years. If you get enrolled in that, that complements Longleaf really well too. So, uh, you know, between that and call share, you know, people can actually come out ahead right out of the gate. So they don't have to worry about trying to make their money at 15, you know, 12 to 15 year old mark with Loblolly. If you got paid, you know, four to $600 an acre at the time you planted it, just to take care of it and do what you were going to do anyway. Oh, you're exactly right. It's a there. There's there's a lot of a lot of different ways to kind of look at it and to justify what you want to do with the long leaf. There's opportunities with straw. Uh, there's uh, the carbon markets changing, so uh, I can see where that could possibly be uh, one of the other factors that kind of plays into it. About how old do those long leaves have to be, Mr. Journey, before you start harvesting the pine straw out from under them? Depends on when they when they actually start kind of uh, just general rule of thumb closing that canopy up I, i'd say probably eight to ten years probably gotcha mm -hmm. uh, where where i'm from i don't see a lot of pine straw farms here as you get further south into south georgia south alabama florida panhandle there is you know that's where most of that stuff comes from well like you said if you had demand uh, or if you had supply of another couple, two, three million seedlings, you feel like you could sell them. That leads me to think that, you know, it's competitive in terms of being able to get to your seedlings that you want to plant. So if people are set on planting long leaves or they think they are, you know, and they want to talk about their specific site, they want to talk to you and start to get plans together, I would imagine they need to do this pretty well in advance. I mean, if you're going to be trying to plant, uh, yeah. you know, in this, this fall winter window, how many years in advance do you need to be thinking about this? And then how can people get in touch with you to ask these specific questions and, and kind of figure out what's right for their site? Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a great question. And one that a lot of people don't really think about, you know, these trees just don't pop up in two or three months. So it really starts planning now. So we're in the process right now, planning for next year's crop. So um, so what what I would suggest people doing is go ahead and, and get get with if they're going through call share, go ahead and, and make sure that they're signed up, make sure that they're getting that getting everything ready for next year. And um, 
the biggest thing or the biggest problem that I see is that a lot of landowners start coming to me like right now or either first part of the, the summertime and they're wanting seedlings. And I'm like, man, we are out. I can't sell you anymore. I've got a, a notebook that's got probably 20, 25 different people that's called me wanting, you know, any kind of lawn leaf. And it's, 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 it's tough because they don't realize what it takes to, to actually grow them. So we start asking our customers uh, in January and February what their needs are, especially for containerized and more specifically for the lawn leaf. So it takes longer for us to, to get those into the containers to actually uh, get those sowed. So it's, it's, it's a longer process. So therefore it backs us up on when we really need to let our nurseries know when we, you know, or how much that we're going to sow. So yeah, it's it's at least a year out. Uh, if you're if you're trying to to plan any kind of planting, honestly, whether it's long leaf or or, or short leaf or loblolly, anything, you really need to start before a year before you actually want to plant it. So now's the time if you're thinking about it for the next year. That's right. Now's the time. Um, now is the time. I, I've got guys that's already. I've got a notebook here that's already got people's names in it for for next year. Well, maybe we'll have some rain by then, Ernie. I don't. I don't know right. got to. <laughs> I was gonna say, and uh, for those that are listening, your your cost share opportunities for twenty four are expiring soon. You got to be. They move the date up. It it runs out next week, which I think November fourth. So, if you haven't signed up yet, you better get signed up. Yeah, and if you haven't found a gopher tortoise hole on your property, I'd recommend <laughs> going and finding one. Yeah. It'll, it'll boost you in the rankings. So, yeah. Uh, well, Ernie, man, it's been fun going into this and, uh, long leaves are, you know, they shouldn't be as exciting as they are because they were, they were what was here when we got here for the most part. But when you start to pay attention to them, they, there is a lot of romance around them. And, uh, they're a, they're a cool tree that do a lot for people like us that love to be outdoors, but you, you did a great job, I think of, of shedding light on something that I think a lot of people get caught up in the romance and they don't take the time to say, well, but is this really right for me? Is it right for my place? And so that's a great place to start. But if folks want to get in touch with you guys, uh, ask you guys some questions, what's the best way for them to do that? Yes. Well, you can go to our, our website at ifcoceilings.com. Uh, there's a map on there, which has a lot of, um, a lot of opportunities where you, where you can actually touch on which state, that you're in, whether you're in Alabama, Georgia, uh, Florida, and uh, it will pop up that guy's name and number. So for me, I'm out of Alabama, the Mississippi area. Uh, so feel free to give me a call, uh, or, or if you're in any other state, feel free to call me. I mean, we're we're not pigeonholed there, but uh, that's a good place to actually start. All right, folks, we're going to be right back. Y'all take a minute and check out some of our sponsors. Field Torque. Introducing the Field Torque Field Dressing Super Tool for hunters. Field Torque is five times faster, safer, and cleaner than conventional field dressing. The Super Tool does it with a bone cutter, flesh cutter, and gut hook all in one. You can tackle elk, deer, hogs, and more without resharpening or replacing blades during the process. The Field Torque Super Tool's bone cutting assist design allows for easy pelvic removal and breastplate separation without broken or dull blades allowing for unobstructed or damaged entrail removal. Includes a heavy-duty sheath and ceramic sharpener. Get yours today at fieldtorque.com and also found on Amazon. Well, guys, I mean, I was already pretty convinced that I was going with Longleaf on my place before we did this show, but I wanted to talk to somebody like Ernie to kind of see around corners and make sure that there wasn't something I was missing. I did have a did look into my site, my soils before I ever even went down that road. That was my big takeaway from what Ernie said is like, I'm, I'm makes me feel good that I did that because I know that my site is adapted or, or long lease are adapted for my site or my site is adapted for long lease, however you want to put it. So I know I, I'm not starting behind what y'all take away from today. Well, this was the first time I've heard about genetically modified trees for the purpose of pine straw. Mm. So yeah, we've heard about it for growth rate and, you know, disease resistance and things like that. But, uh, that was the first for me. So, you know, we, we talk a lot about growing big deer. It's hard to imagine that now we're trying to grow big limbs to put out pine straw. That's a, <laughs> that's a, that's a new one. Yeah. The, there's a, there's a lot to think about when it comes to, to all that. Um, it's certainly something that's going to be 
site specific and goal specific for each person. What about you, Butch? Yeah, it, it is a big commitment. I mean, it's something that's going to be you're going to be looking at for about 30, 35 years. Uh, yeah, so maybe you longer. Get it right. Yeah. So you better get it right. Um, it is a lot to think about. It's a lot of planning, as Mr. Ernie said, plan, you know, well in advance, 365 days in advance. I think what I took away from it or a little pearl I took away was it kind of seems like the the container seedlings is, you know, versus the bare root seedlings kind of seems like basically broadcasting your seed versus, you know, drilling your seed into the ground like you and I have talked about very recently. Right. Um, it just gives you a little bit more protection and a little bit more leeway on the good side of putting mm-hmm. that container plant in the ground. Yeah, it gives you some a little peace of mind. I mean, so yeah, it gives you a bigger, a better weather weather window. Better weather. We window. need a we need a wetter window right now. It's uh, amen. Yeah, At no, least it's getting I cooler. I don't need any more stress like that in my life. It's hard. It's like I said earlier. It's hard enough trying to plant a food plot. I don't want to be worrying about five hundred long leaves per acre. You know, right. it's, uh, for the next 30 years. So I agree with you. Sounds like the containerized, I'm sure it's more expensive, but you get what you pay for. And yeah. that's what peace I've of mind. I learned the hard way for over the years. No doubt. Absolutely. Well, it was good, good having Ernie on and, uh, good sharing some time with you guys. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Appreciate you joining us. We want to make it easy for you to listen. So here's a handy option for you. To get the podcast emailed to you each week, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. Again, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. You'll join our email list. And wherever you are listening to podcasts, go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. Send us a written review. We'd love to hear from you. If you got a show topic, that you are interested in and like to see us cover, just email us at pros at landhunting.com. That's going to do it for us. Y'all stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next time. This week's show is brought to you by Mallard Bay Outdoors. Book your next guided hunting or fishing trip with thoroughly vetted guides or charters built by sportsmen for sportsmen. MallardBay.com. And also Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks are proud to be your metal roofing headquarters for over 40 years. They now have eight locations to serve you. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks, your metal roofing headquarters. And also First South Farm Credit. First South shares its profits with its borrowers in the form of a patronage refund, lowering your cost of borrowing. Check them out at FirstSouthLand.com or call them at 800-955-1722. They're an equal housing lender.